0: Explode your to-be-read pile with the New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books curated by the book nerds here at book riot it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar you can filter by genre what's trending among other subscribers and save books to your own watch list and you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases that's bookriot.com slash new releases happy browsing (laughs)
1: to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 378, and today we are talking about books being released on September 6, 2022, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Danica Ellis, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Danica, hello! Hello! How are you?
2: I'm good. I feel like this week has been kind of, not hectic in the in the sense of having a lot to do, but just like I feel very surprised by everything that I'm doing today. Like today's recording, usually I am getting ready 15 minutes beforehand. And for some reason, I completely didn't notice until five minutes before and then ran around. <laughs> so it's just that kind of week. What about you?
1: Uh, about the same. I feel like yesterday, we're recording this on September 2nd, so I feel like yesterday was September 1st, and the universe was like, we're gonna do fall now. Like, it was like Mm. 75, 80 here yesterday, and then it got down to 45 last night, and the heat came on, and we needed all our blankets, and it was like, what is happening? And I've just been discombobulated since, because it turns out that... When the heat comes on and you're really snug in your blankets, you will sleep through your alarm for a very long time. <laughs> so I woke up, like, two hours later than I wanted to. And, yeah, I know everyone says sleep is good, but I hate it. And I hate waking oh, up no. late, you know. So I've been running around. And you might have only remembered five minutes ahead of time, but I'm going to be typing my notes, like, while you're speaking today. <laughs> because that's how behind I am. Um, but that's okay. You know, it's going to happen.
2: It's going to be an An interesting episode. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
1: Today was a really hard day to pick. There's always one day in the spring that there are so many books, and then one day in the fall, and it's usually the first Tuesday in September, and it is absolutely Mm -hmm. true this time. There are so many books out today, and when I was going through the catalogs, you know, the last few months I've been looking for paperbacks, you know, letting, you know, the other hosts know about paperbacks and paperbacks, you know, for us, and... You know, it's like filter, you know, through paperbacks. And it's like, oh, four or five hundred that meet the specifications that you're looking for, right? And so yesterday I was going through the paperbacks and I was like, filter. And it's like, here are one thousand and ninety two that meet the specifications. And I was like, oh, September 6th.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I had a hard time picking. There were so many great ones.
1: Yeah, it's true. So it's exciting, though. I mean, I Mm -hmm. love it. I love a good book day. It's going to be very exciting. I wish I had something else exciting to tell you, but uh, I don't think I do today. So we're just going to get to the books, I guess. Um, But before we do that, we are going to hear from our first sponsor
0: Explode your To Be Read pile with the New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com newreleases new releases. That's bookriot.com newreleases new releases. Happy browsing!
1: Okay, so... This is very exciting. I've been waiting to talk about this book forever, and I'm also doing an event with the author because I talked about the book so much. They were like, all right, all right. Do you want to do an event? And I was like, yay! Uh, So my book love came first, then author event, and it is Killers of a Certain Age by Deanna Rayborn. This book is so much fun. I am loving this latest wave of books that feature older protagonists uh, in mysteries and adventures. And, you know, there's like the the elderly lady serial killer book that came out from Soho Press a few years ago that's like huge. And just all kinds of books. I, I'm still a big fan of The Lady Spy from Angel Baker by Nick Harkaway, who's like, I think she's in her 90s, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember anymore, but she, like, still kicks butt. She's awesome. And this is about some older female assassins who are going to retire. Uh, Their names are Billy, Mary Alice, Helen, and Natalie. Now, when they were very young, 19 and 20, these four women were recruited to be sphinxes. These women were recruited for various reasons by the secret organization called the Museum. Now, the Museum sort of works outside of the law. This is in England. And, like, well, they're kind of known to the government. Like, nobody really talks about them. And for many years... Men have been working for this organization. Uh, but now there is an older woman in charge, and she decides she's going to put together the first ever all-women team of elite assassins. And so she takes on these four women. She trains them. You know, they all have various backgrounds and various reasons like why they would make good assassins. You know, like they're loners or they have great skills or, you know, both. And so their job is just as it sounds, they're assassins. They track down criminals and they kill them. When this organization comes together, they had started out hunting Nazis, like, that had escaped Germany, and they were—these women were going after Nazis. But they've branched out, because there's a lot of bad people in the world, so now they go after drug lords and sex traffickers and all kinds of people. And, you know, so, like, they've been doing this for a really long time. And now, at the beginning of the book, these four women—like I said, Billy, Mary Alice, Helen, and Natalie— they are all in their 60s, their early 60s, and they're retiring because they've put in their 40 years of service. They, you know, which is good for an assassin. I mean, they made it to like their 60s and they've even been given a retirement cruise. Like this is their present from the museum. And so they're sent to this luxury liner and they're out on the ship and they're like, "What are we going to do now?" you know, and they all have plans. You know, they want to do different things. You know, one of them is married. And while they're aboard their vacation cruise for their retirement, they discover that there is an assassin on board. They recognize him and they realize he can only be there for one reason. He's going to kill them. And they discover, yes, this is in fact the truth and foil his plot and escape. And now they're like, whoa, what is going on? We were going to retire. Who sent him? Why would they do that? And now they have to use their skills to pull one last job, and that is the job of finding out who wants them dead. It's really, really fun. It's a little killing Eve if, you know, Eve was like, you know, in her twilight years almost. It's just so much fun. First of all, Deanna Rayborn is fantastic. If you've never read her, she has several series before this, and she's just so great. Uh, And this book has tons of action, It's a compliment to say that it reads like a movie. You know, there's all this action and snappy dialogue. And in between the chapters of the four women in present day being like, uh, what are we going to do? Who's, you know, we got to beat some people up and get them to tell us what's happening and all this going on. We go back to their older assignments and see them, you know, fighting, you know, Nazis and, and all the things that they did when they were younger that may or may not have something to do with what's going on today. And it's great. It's so awesome. And I love it because it's not like, it's not like in your face, oh, women are old and they can't do anything anymore, you know? It's like, women are still badass no matter what age they are. Like, do they have hot flashes? Yes. Can they still kill someone with a knitting needle? Yes. You know, can they choke out somebody twice their size with a necklace? Yes. Like, they're still... They're still awesome. But the reason that they keep getting better at their jobs is that because society, you know, underestimates women, especially as they get older, they practically become invisible and they can use that to their advantage. So, you know, people are like, oh, older women, they're harmless and they don't have a clue. So it's just, it's so fun. And there are so many great capers and I just loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. If you couldn't tell already, it's just so fun. And it has one heck of an ending. Uh, I do want to give content warnings for sexism, sexual assault, mention of an off-page dog death, and lots and lots and lots of violence and murder. It is "Killers of a Certain Age" by Deanna Rayborn.
2: That sounds like so many great things in one book. It's
1: it's just perfect. I loved it so much. I was like, "This is delightful," <laughs> you know. And and <laughs> I, you know, I try to think like. Am I enjoying this because I'm an aging woman? You know, like, possibly. But I just think it's also awesome.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there still aren't enough books about older women who are being amazing. And I yeah. feel like we're starting to get more of them. And yeah. I love them.
1: And there were a couple of places where this book could have fallen into tropes or could have used stereotypes about older women, and she doesn't go there. And I was really grateful because I I would have definitely been like, oh, I didn't enjoy that. You know, so
2: it was delightful. Nice. All right, my first pick is Year of the Tiger, An Activist's Life by Alice Wong. So this is the memoir of the founder and director of the Disability Visibility Project, and it is a memorable, thought-provoking, and often funny read. It's also a book that defies easy categorization, and by that I mean really actively so. So in the introduction, Wong clearly outlines some of the ways not to talk about this book. It's not a, quote, harrowing yet triumphant account of discrimination, ableism, humiliation, and pain. It's not a book for allies to read to feel like they're scoring points. She also talks about disability memoirs that have been treated as the zoo exhibit of the publishing world. And in format, too... Wong rejects the standard. She resists the idea that memoirs should have one central theme. So instead, this is a collection of interviews, essays, comics, graphics, photos, and more. They range from discussing celebrating New Year's in Hong Kong as a child, making the perfect dumpling, the effect of the pandemic on disabled people, her journey to being a disability activist, and ends with her own fictional obituary. While her work as a disability activist is a big part of this book, it's also about family, growing up as an Asian American disabled kid, storytelling, saliva art, nerd culture, and beautifully ripe peaches. I read Care Work, Dreaming Disability Justice by Leah Lakshmi Piepzna-Samarasinha before that, and I think they're really interesting in conversation with each other because they both discuss disability and networks of support, among other things, but they have different imaginings of what those can or should look like and kind of their interaction with government and capitalism and justice and how to organize those sort of networks, which I thought was really interesting to be able to see that from multiple perspectives and kind of complicate it in my mind, because I haven't read a lot of disability justice books. So that was a great thing for me to really flesh out that idea more. As Wong explains, this is the hardest part for her as a disabled person who requires a lot of care for her daily life, the fragility of this safety net, and how policy can change on a dime and affect so many disabled people's lives in devastating ways. How this is much more of a problem for disabled people than their bodies or their minds are. She talks about the bureaucracy of the governmental support systems that do exist, including what she calls the work of disability, which requires constant documentation and paperwork just to maintain the same level of support that they have. She shares her rage at the shortcomings of these systems and at how disabled people are often dismissed from cultural conversations, even when, in the case of the pandemic, they are the experts. So one interview describes how news channels were sharing expert advice from astronauts and submariners about surviving isolation without considering that maybe people who have already had to be isolated in their homes for medical reasons long before the pandemic might have something relevant to add to this conversation. There was also one fact that was repeated several times in the book, but it actually took me that many times to read it correctly because apparently I just couldn't even process it the first time around. So during shortages of ventilators in the height of hospitalizations in the pandemic, the New York State Department of Health Their ventilator allocation guidelines allowed doctors to take patients' personal ventilators away from them and give them to someone else. So someone who had come in with the ventilator they own that they rely on to breathe every day could have it removed from them, despite it being life-threatening, to treat someone else whose breath is apparently more valuable. And these policies of eugenics were incredibly common during the height of COVID hospitalizations, and they put disabled, and chronically ill people who are already vulnerable to COVID in even more danger. So while Wong discusses a lot of important and infuriating things, the personal tone and the variety of formats kept me completely absorbed, and I laughed out loud several times at her sarcasm and dry humor that's woven throughout I also appreciated the broad view that Wong takes and the way she sees how systems of oppression are connected. So in her imagined obituary, she says Alice lived to see the abolition of carceral institutions such as psychiatric hospitals, nursing homes and prisons, because she sees those connections and is fighting for all the people affected by them. If you want to rage against ableism and enjoy sarcastic humor and reading about food that will definitely make your mouth water, I highly recommend this one. I feel like I just scratched the surface talking about this book and everything it explores. So definitely pick it up for yourself. And that is Year of the Tiger by Alice Wong.
1: Okay, so my next pick is The Weight of Blood by Tiffany D. Jackson Jackson is most recently the author of White Smoke, which I talked about on the podcast last year when it came out. It's a YA horror novel, and it was really scary. And I know that other people thought so because so many of you reached out to me and said, wow, that was really scary. And I was like, yeah, that's what I told you. You know, I'm here to tell you the truth. This is another scary book. This one is a present-day reimagining of Stephen King's Carrie. If you're not familiar with Carrie... It is Stephen King's first novel that was published about a young girl who is an outcast, who has a horrific mother, who has some psychokinetic powers. It's gonna end badly for everyone. Uh, No surprises there. And so, this book, The Weight of Blood, is set in a small town outside Atlanta called Springville. It's about a teenage girl named Maddie. Maddie is a senior at her school, uh, and she has a secret. And in the first scene with Maddie, we are going to learn what that secret is. Maddie is biracial. She has been passing as white, and one day they are outside, and even though Maddie checked the weather a million times, like her dad insisted that she check it, it starts raining, and her hair gets wet, and everyone realizes she has an afro, and they start making fun of her. Uh, And this this is devastating for Maddie because... Her father is a monster. He is white. He is racist. Uh, there were rumors that he had been seeing a black woman at one point in town, but everyone thinks that Maddie's mother died died in childbirth. That's all she knows. And he has always told her never to get her hair wet. Like he makes her stay home when it rains. He tells the school that she has a a disease. You know, so she's out a lot. But it's too late now. She's a senior and. And her hair has gotten wet, and it's all curly, and the kids start making fun of her. Uh, And this is bad because she's already had it, like, really rough. Like I said, her father is a monster. He's an abusive monster. And she doesn't have any friends. She barely speaks in class. So after gym class, where this event happens outside, she has to go to another class, and kids start throwing things at her, like, trying to get things in her hair. And it upsets her, obviously. Uh, And all of a sudden, there's something happens, which they chalk up to a seismic event, like an earthquake. Like, Maddie gets really upset, and everybody's desks come up off the floor, and all kinds of things happen. And people are like, what was that? It must have been an earthquake, because why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't you think that? And the school calls her parents, or her dad, I should say, because of what happened. You know, she was being bullied in class, and the teacher sent her to the office. And, you know, he is, of course, angry at her, because he... You know, told her she should never get her hair wet. And he punishes her for letting her secret out. Because he has been straightening her hair every Sunday for all of her life. And, and not gently. Like, like it's it's a horrible, terrible thing for her to have done. Um, now, this town that she lives in, small uh, Springville, excuse me, is separated by the haves and have-nots. And for the most part, the black people of the town live on the east side. And the white people of the town live on the west side. It has... Serious racist roots, this town. And there's the popular clique. There's a girl who is, like, Regina George's less nice sister. She's just a beast, a bullying beast. And she's one of the girls who is bullying uh, Maddie. There's her friend... Who worships the ground that her friend walks on, uh, you know, does everything she can to hide the fact that her parents are uh, non functioning alcoholics. They don't come to any of her events. Uh, They don't have any money. She's trying everything she can to get scholarships so that she can go to college. And basically, she has hitched her star to her boyfriend's wagon. She's planning all of her life based on her boyfriend's dreams. Her boyfriend wants to be a football player, she is dating a rich. Black kid, a football star, who is one of the few Black, from one of the few Black families that live on the West Side. And he's a part of this clique. He's basically their token Black friend. You know, his friends look to him to see if it's okay to say things that they say. They make fun of the other Black kids in the school. You know, they're super racist, but, you know, they're telling him like, oh, we don't think of you this way. You know, we don't think of you as Black. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, because he just wants to fit in. He just wants to get through school. He has a sister who has become involved in basically like a Black Lives Matter movement. And he's like, why do you have to bring attention to us? You know, why can't we just, you know, get through this and and not, you know, draw attention? And this brings us to prom. Because of what happened to Maddie, someone in the classroom uh, filmed her being bullied and having things thrown at her. And this video goes viral. And now in this town, the prom has always been segregated. And you're like, well, that can't be legal. And it's because they hold the proms privately and off school property that it can be legal. The black kids have always gone to one prom and the white kids have always gone to another prom. So because of this bullying, the school council decides they're going to have their first integrated prom. Maddie is invited. She has a date. Someone asked her to go to the prom and... Let me just back that up by saying that the very beginning of this book is about a podcast being done on what happened in the town of Springville on prom night 10 years earlier that killed 200 people. So you know that prom is not going to go well. And it's it's so good, this book. It's sharp. It's a horrifying twist on Carrie. Um, not just because it's scary, but because it's a very astute observation of racism and bullying, you know, big and small. It looks at microaggressions. It looks at, like I said, bullying. It looks at internalized racism. It looks at classism. It's it's excellent and, and a little hard to read. Like I said, you know, there's a lot of terrible things that happen to this girl, and you just your heart breaks for her just a million times over. I do want to give content warnings for racism and racialized language, bullying, body shaming, child abuse and child harm, chemical use and abuse. Violence, injury, and death, panic attacks and anxiety, and trauma. This is The Weight of Blood by Tiffany D. Jackson.
2: All right. Going from YA to middle grade, the second book that I have actually read and I'm recommending is Attack of the Black Rectangles by Amy Sarah King. So, this is a middle grade book by Amy Sarah King, also known as A.S. King, who has a passionate fan base for her YA novels. This is set in a town where essentially anything that someone might find offensive has been scrubbed away. There's no Halloween, there's no junk food, and there's a curfew. Although, of course, there are people out at night, and some people still eat junk food, but that's never acknowledged, and it's not enforced consistently. Between the chapters are letters in the newspaper, most of which question the town's strict rules. And then there are responses from Ms. Set, who is a middle school teacher who defends and proposes these restrictions for everyone, but especially children's own good. So this is kind of a slightly exaggerated version of things that are very much happening in schools right now. If you are not following the censorship news Round up on Book Riot that's done by Kelly Jensen, you should, because this is really not far off from what a lot of people are trying to have done. So in this book, we follow Mac, who is a white sixth grader who pushes back against his town's insistence on turning away from anything uncomfortable. So on patriotic field trips, he asks how many of the founding fathers enslaved people, on Christopher Columbus Day, he asks his teacher why they aren't learning about the real history of this horrific figure. Mac lives with his mother and his grandfather, who is an activist, and he has helped Mac learn about a lot of this. He sees his father once a week or so when he comes over for dinner, but his father is demanding, erratic, and sometimes cruel, especially to Mac's mom. He also tells Mac that he is an alien anthropologist and that he is not human. It doesn't feel love like humans do. They work on what he calls his spaceship, but what Mac's grandfather calls his old car, in the garage in secret, going out for the occasional midnight flight in the ship. So Mac is already feeling weird about this uh about his relationship with his father and the things that his dad is saying so when mac gets assigned the devil's arithmetic by jane yolen by his teacher Ms. Set, he is surprised to see that two pages have had lines or words blacked out So he and his grandfather go to the bookstore to find an unaltered version and discover that the word that's been redacted is breasts. So this is a harrowing scene about concentration camps. And apparently that's what kids can't handle reading is just that word that it's absolutely fine to read about concentration camps and death and violence and racism and all of those things, but that is a word that kids can't handle and has to be blacked out. So Mac is outraged, and he and his friends, Marcy and Dennis, decide to fight against the censorship. This is based on a true story. The Devil's Arithmetic was censored in this way in King's Son's school. And not only is this about Mac fighting against censorship, which, as I said, very timely right now. But it's also about Mac's crush on Marcy, as well as his complicated relationship with his father. So Mac is scared that he's turning into his dad and that he can't control his anger. He's also angry at his dad. But he isn't telling his friends about this huge thing that's happening in his life, especially when it gets worse, which makes him feel like he's living in a black rectangle, that he is hiding this important thing, this truth from the people in his life. These two things converge in Mac feeling like he's been betrayed by adults, that he is surrounded by people who lie and who hide uncomfortable truths. This comes to a head in a cathartic scene between Mac and his grandfather, where they honestly communicate about their messy emotions that actually had me in tears. My only critique is that I wish this book directly addressed that Max's father obviously has some serious mental health issues. For a book that's all about naming uncomfortable truths, it felt strange to me that this wasn't named. But overall, I thought this was a powerful and relevant read, and I hope it makes its way into school libraries. I also appreciated that there's a brief mention of Dennis being possibly asexual and or aromantic with those words used in the text, which is pretty rare in general, but especially in middle grade. So I definitely recommend this one, and that is Attack of the Black Rectangles by Amy Sarah King.
0: I love her
1: so much! You know, I've talked about her like a million (laughs) times on the podcast and how I've embarrassed myself in front of her more times than I can count. (laughs) And she goes by Amy Sarek-King when she writes middle grade novels. And if you look Mm -hmm. up The Year We Fell From Space, she named her character Liberty after me, which is so nice. nice. (laughs) And I still still get goosebumps when I think about it. So exciting. I just love her so much. (laughs) So those are the books that we have read and are excited about. And here now are more of today's releases in both hardcover and paperback that we are excited about but haven't necessarily read. I am going to start with one that I am excited to pick up, The Fortunes of Jaded Women by Carolyn Huynh. This is about a family of estranged Vietnamese women uh, many, many years before, like like centuries before, uh, a family member of theirs did something that upset someone else, and a curse was placed on their family. And they were told that from now on, their family would only ever give birth to daughters. And this curse has been passed down for generations. And and it's true. They have only ever given birth to daughters. And now it's present day, and there's a group of sisters, and they've had this huge falling out for reasons that I don't know because I have not read the book. Uh, and so one of the women who is estranged from her sister's Uses a psychic. She calls a psychic, like in in Hawaii or something. And one day she calls her psychic and the psychic tells her, uh, you know, this year I see that you are going to experience a marriage, a funeral, and the birth of a son, which is like, what? Because they only ever have daughters. So this is big news. So she decides she's going to get over whatever it is that's keeping her from talking to her sisters. And she calls them and she tells them this news and it brings them back together and, you know, possibly they're going to heal their hurts. I don't know. I haven't read the book, but uh, they're going to find out if this is really true. So it, it's getting amazing reviews. It sounds fantastic. It is The Fortunes of Jaded Women by Carolyn Nguyen. And before Danica tells us about her next pick, we are going to hear from another sponsor.
2: All right, Danica, what do you have for us? Yeah, I have another book that is getting great reviews that I'm looking forward to. And that is What We Fed to the Banticore by Talia Lakshmi Kalluri. So this is a collection of short stories that are all told from an animal's perspective. They take place around the world from the oceans to the Arctic to India and the Gaza Strip. They extend empathy to animals imagining how a pigeon might see the world or how a whale navigates the oceans, but it doesn't romanticize them. Some of these narrators are kind while others are self-serving or just indifferent to humans. There are some man-eating tigers, so there's definitely animals that are not very cuddly uh, for humans. In the first story, there's a loyal donkey who's the narrator who is painted by a zookeeper to play the role of a zebra in a zoo in the Gaza Strip. But this attempt to keep the kids of Gaza entertained is threatened by war. In another story, vultures wax philosophical over a carcass meal and... And the whales that I mentioned earlier in their story find that the systems of songs that they use to communicate and travel have become increasingly undermined by human activity. The noise of ships and other human activity overwhelms their sensitive hearing and makes it hard to navigate or to be able to hear anything other than that noise. Colory includes author notes about her research in creating this collection, so it is based on a lot of facts about animals, but with some liberties taken, of course.
1: Ha ha! ha, ha liberties. Ha ha!
2: <laughs> I wondered if you were going to try <laughs> I am always fascinated by adult novels that are from the perspective of animals or plants, especially literary fiction. I think it's a great exercise in stepping into a dramatically different point of view, and it shows how interconnected all species are, how the line between human and other animals is thinner than we usually assume. These stories explore how radically different animals lives are all affected by humans. Several stories touch on climate change, poaching, and even war, as I mentioned, and the animals that become casualties in these human interactions. There's also a lot of consideration of the mutual relationship between the tamer and the tamed and the way that we influence each other. This looks like it's going to be a melancholy but thought-provoking and timely collection that leaves room for a little bit of hope, and that is What We Fed to the Manticore by Italia Lakshmi Kaluri.
1: All right. I'm very excited for that one. I flagged it to read, but then yeah. I didn't get to it. But the cover is just,
2: wow. Yeah, you gotta look at the cover. It's gorgeous.
1: Also, did you realize you have two picks this week with big cats on the cover? Oh, do I? Yeah, because that and Year of the Tiger. They both have fantastic oh, yeah, of large cats. I would, I would notice that. Like, that's, you know, that's my thing.
2: Yeah, they definitely both have tigers on the cover. Maybe that's all I need.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but they could all have babies on them, and you'd be like, what do these have in common? I'd be like, they're all books. But I'm like, oh, look at the cats! <laughs> that's me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so my next pick for today is The Marriage Portrait by Maggie O'Farrell. I am such a fan of Maggie O'Farrell. I've loved her novels. I think we've been talking about them, you know, since we started the podcast in 2015. Instructions for a Heat Wave is one of my favorite of her more recently set novels. And by recent, I mean it's 1976. I think it takes place on my birthday, like the day that I was actually born, which might be why I love it so much. And then she went way, way, way back and did Hamnet, which was about Shakespeare's son. And now this one is set in Renaissance Italy. And it is a fictional portrait of the Duchess Lucrezia de' Medici, which I only know that name because my husband loves all the shows about popes and families in Italy in, like, the 15th and 16th century. Uh, so I hear the name all the time. It's, like, his favorite. He's a history major. It's his favorite period to read about or watch TV about. I, myself, know nothing about, about them except when I read the books. And so it's set in Florence in the 16th century, and Medici was a young woman who is basically, you know, free and clear in her life. Uh, She didn't have a lot of responsibilities. uh, Nothing was expected of her. And she kind of got to do whatever she wanted, you know, within reason, because she was a woman in the 16th century. But then, unfortunately, her sister, who was to marry the Duke, uh, dies. And now the Duke wants to marry her. And it's not something that she can say no to. So she's suddenly at court. And it's not a very friendly environment. Not everyone is excited to see her. And now she has to navigate the politics of the court, as well as meet the demand that she give her enigmatic husband an heir. And by an heir, I mean a son. Like, she's expected to provide a son. And she doesn't want any of this. So I read the first third of this book, and then I just got so excited that I was loving it so much that... Like, I stopped reading it. I know that sounds weird, but I also know that some of you will understand, like, what I mean. Sometimes I just get so excited about things that I'm like, I'm going to save this for later. And then I didn't get back to it in time for the show. Um, But like I said, Maggie O'Farrell is just the best. You know, she has an incredible memoir, the name of which is, like, leaving my brain as I talk about it. You know, just look at all her backlist; She's just incredible. And this one coming out today is The Marriage Portrait, and it's
2: by Maggie O'Farrell. So my last book, you talked about The Weight of Blood, and I also have a YA retelling to talk about, and that is Self-Made Boys, A Great Gatsby Remix by Anna Marie McLemore. So Anna-Marie McLemore has a devoted fan base for their queer magical realism YA, including Wild Beauty and When the Moon Was Ours, so I know a ton of readers are very excited about this. This is the latest in the remixed classic series, including Clash of Steel by C.B. Lee, which is a sapphic Chinese retelling of Treasure Island. I am so glad that this series exists because everyone that comes out has a gorgeous cover and just sounds amazing so kudos to this publisher because this was an incredible idea so self-made boys uh, is as the title says a great gatsby retelling and I absolutely love that we are getting more queer and POC re- retellings of Gatsby, not least because there is subtext in the original book that A, Nick is gay, and B, Jay is black and passing as white. Those are really popular literary interpretations of the book, so I love to see those threads explored in retellings, like The Chosen and the Beautiful by Nevo, which I talked about on this podcast when it came out, that is also excellent. So in this retelling, Nick and Jay are both trans teenage boys. Nick and his cousin Daisy are Latine, though Daisy is passing as white. And of course, this is 1920s New York. Nick has traveled from Minnesota to establish himself, but he's not particularly interested in the city life until he meets his neighbor Jay. And Jay holds these lavish parties in his opulent castle of a house to impress Daisy, though she's engaged to Tom, who is a bigot and nobody likes. <laughs> Nick befriends Jay and tries to help him win over Daisy, but then accidentally falls for Jay himself. This is supposed to be a gorgeous, slow-burn queer love story, and Macklemore's lush writing style is perfectly suited to retell this story. While this is set in the 20s, they take some liberties to allow these queer characters to carve out their own place in the world. Their books are always a love letter to queer and trans people, and this looks like it is no different. And that is Self-Made Boys by Anna-Marie McElmore.
0: All right. So
1: that is a really great place to segue into a few paperbacks today because out in paperback today is both A Clash of Steel, which you mentioned by C.B. Lee, which is a Treasure Island Mm -hmm. remix, as well as So Many Beginnings, the Little Women remix by Bethany C. Morrow. And just yesterday, I got the Jekyll and Hyde remix by Kaylin Barron, which is coming oh, out at the beginning of next year. Nice. So I think it's the sixth one in the series. Um, they're also great. And they just have the most amazing authors doing them. So, yeah, it's really fun. So also out in paperback today is No Gods, No Monsters by Cadwell Turnbull, which is a speculative fiction about a woman whose brother is killed by the police. And she learns that monsters are literally real. There's Amber and Clay by Laura Amy Schlitz and illustrated by Julia Iredale. I have this. I have not read it, but when I was looking it up earlier, uh, it has received like a million awards and all the star reviews. And I had no idea. I feel like not enough people are mentioning this book because it has all the stars. Uh, it is about an aristocrat and an enslaved person who become friends in ancient Greece. The Glorious God, The Great Glorious Goddamn of It All by Josh Ritter. You might recognize his name. He is a singer. I think this is his second novel. It might be his third. It's out in paperback now. It's about the last lumberjacks in a small Idaho town. Ghost Forest by Pixuan Feng, which is about a family who immigrates to Canada from China in the late nineties and about their astronaut father or astronaut parent, which is a popular term uh, for the parent that stays behind. There's also On Freedom, Four Songs of Care and Constraint by Maggie Nelson. This examines freedom in four different categories. Art, Sex, Drugs, and Climate. No Land to Light On by Yara Sab, about a Syrian couple who are separated by civil war when one of them has to go visit an ailing parent out of the country and cannot return. Before the Ever After by Jacqueline Woodson. This is another book that came out last year. I... Barely remember that it came out. Uh, it has all the amazing ratings, and I haven't seen anyone talking about it. So let's let's talk about it now. I'm gonna read it. It's a middle grade novel in verse. It's about a family dealing with uh, their aging pro football player father and the effects that you know being in the sport has on on him. You know later in his life. There is also the Atlas Six by Olivia Blake, which was the self published sci fi fantasy novel that took off, I think, on Talk, and was republished by Tor. It's Dark Academia, about six students who join a secretive society in which only five will remain at the end of the school year. And the sequel is out next year. And they're also republishing a lot of Blake's older titles now, too. And The American Roommate Experience by Elena Armas, which is a romance about a secret romance writer whose apartment is literally falling apart around her. It is unlivable. So her friend says that she can stay in her apartment. But when she gets there, she finds out that her friend forgot. She already promised her handsome cousin that he could stay there. And so they're going to have to share the space. And what do you possibly think might happen? So those are some paperbacks out today. Danica, what are you going to read next?
2: Yeah, I am a couple chapters into The Dawn Hounds by Sasha Stronic, which is a queer Maori-inspired biopunk pirate fantasy. So many
1: great adjectives.
2: <laughs> At this point, I have no idea what's happening because the world-building is intense and I often don't read epic fantasy because i find that hard to follow but i am here for it i'm along for the ride i don't need to understand (laughs) it's so fascinating like all of the different world building elements especially the biopunk part of it. kind of dystopian mid-war plants that have been engineered to serve different purposes it's really fascinating, and I'm sure I'll figure it out as we go. And what are you reading next?
1: Well, I'm going to say something, because you've just made me feel better, and I'm going to say something that's going to make you feel better. I read that book, and I didn't understand it. So, (laughs) it was awesome, though. I mean, it's really intense, and there's so much cool stuff going on, but I, you know, I read a lot of epic fantasy, and I was like, Mm -hmm. I... I'm having to concentrate really hard and I still don't really understand. It's just one of those books, I yeah. think. But I but like I I, rec- I would recommend it. I think it's great. I just didn't really understand what was going on a lot of the time.
2: <laughs> it's so unusual. Yeah, I think some books you got to just let wash over yeah. you, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you just got to let it go and just, you know, hang in there for the vibe yeah. and it's fine <laughs> if, if some of the words aren't really matching to any meaning.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you love fantasy and you love a challenge, like, it's totally worth it. It's it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am going to pick up something called the Crow Valley Karaoke Championships by Allie Bryan, which I cannot find a definition, a definition, a description of this anywhere except on Edelweiss. It's being compared to Schitt's Creek and Mostly Dead Things, and it says, here, the publisher blurb says, it follows five people who discover love, second chances, and newfound hope as the town's biggest night of the year spirals into chaos. So, uh, hopefully not, like, you know, the weight of blood chaos, but <laughs> I'm super excited. I mean, it just, it sounds, you know, fun. And I'm here for all the Shit's Creek, you know, comps, you Right. Know? It's It's just another yeah. one of those comps that, like, I have put into my brain that I fall for every time and I'm, you know, like, The Secret History and, and completely disappointed almost, like, yeah. every freaking time. Uh, <laughs> although I have to say, like, you know, uh, The Secret History, it's September now, which means The Secret History has been out for 30 years. I have read it every year ah. since it came out and a couple of other times, so I've read it 32 times, and I read every book that is compared to The Secret History, including The Atlas Six, and I have never read a book that I thought was worthy of the comp. You know, not just because, like, I didn't think... I thought some of these books were bad because I don't. But, like, I don't... Just because a book is set in college and somebody dies, it doesn't mean that it's a secret history comp, you know? Uh, The only one that I've ever read that I thought was worthy was The Orchard by David Hopin, which I talked about a lot on the show. But now I have read another one. It is I Have Questions for You by Rebecca Mackay. And it comes out next year. And I sat down and inhaled it the other day. It was so great. I mean, she's amazing, anyway. She wrote The Great Believers... Um, So, if you like The Secret History, I've gotten way off track here, Um, but if you like The Secret History, you know, and, like, dark, you know, boarding school stories, this is a great book, so.
2: I can't believe it's been 30 years. It feels like The Secret History has been more popular in the last five years than ever before, but, I mean, maybe it's just because, because Dark Academia really came into style, and that was kind of the the framing book for it. But maybe that's just when I started paying attention.
1: Well, I'm hoping that this means that we are getting a new Donna Tartt book soon because Mm. Charles Portis is her favorite author and he published six books in 60-something years. And so far, she had The Secret History in 92, The Little Friend in 2003, and The Goldfinch in 2003. So I'm hoping that this means that you know, this next year will be ten years since the Goldfinch. Yeah, all of which I loved, like all wildly different, and I loved them so much. And yes, I know there are so many people out there who are like, "Oh, the Goldfinch—it's so long, and it needed an editor, and it absolutely did." And I would also read like another thousand pages of it. I loved it so much. <laughs> but I'm—I'm I'm really hoping that like she's keeping with this tradition, and we're gonna get a new Donna Tart. I have not heard a, a peep about it—not a whisper, not anything, not even people being like, you know, "Hey, we're we're due for some Donna Tart." So. I could be wrong, but yeah, I love that book so much. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a piece for for Book Riot. You'll be able to read it uh, sometime in the next month about oh, nice. how I've read it 32 times. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was all for today. That was fun. That was that was mm-hmm. fun. I enjoyed this. Thank you to our <laughs> sponsors. Thank you to our awesome editor. Like, yeah. Let me make let me make <laughs> Jen, you know, edit the thing about her. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> can we just leave this in? Um, thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookride.com. You can find us online. Danica hangs out on Twitter at Lesbrary L-E-S-B-R-A-R-Y. I mostly hang out on France and Comes Alive. No, on Instagram at France and Comes Alive. It's all coming to pieces now. Um, you can go to Apple Podcasts and Spotify Reviews or wherever it is that you get your podcasts and leave a rating or a review. It helps other book lovers to find us, and we appreciate it so much. There have been so many nice reviews recently. The other gen has been sharing them, and it's just, I cry, like, every time. Like, happy cry. <laughs> I'm like that that mm-hmm. Kirsten Bell gif of her like laughing and then crying. I'm just like, ah! but not like crying in a set, sa- like a bad way. Like, and I'm like, oh, everyone's so nice. So, Aww. and as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, I have to get off the microphone because I stopped being able to say my words. Uh, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen or just search bookriot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime,
0: Happy, happy reading. reading.